help support part of Seattle's queer community by donating to Utopia, a queer and trans people of color-led grassroots organization for the queer and trans-Pacific Islander community in South King County. Check out utopiaseattle.org for more information. Well, Seattle ideal for women is very much like, does she run a triathlon? I just want a woman who can just put her thighs on the side of my head. Masculine tops. Power bottoms. Butch girls. Femboys. Bears. Otters. Unicorns. There's no shortage of labels that queer people use to describe different sexual identities and preferences. But how do we navigate that horny, thorny path between realizing we're queer and deciding which boxes to check when filling out our dating profiles? Fruit Bowl explores the unique ways we develop our sexual identities by sharing the sometimes messy, always fascinating, real-life sex histories of queer people. Our first introduction to sex. The embarrassing moments we'd like to forget. And the reliable bedroom moves that we've discovered along the way. Basically, all the stuff we wish we'd known when we first came out. Interviews are edited for clarity and brevity and are approved by each interviewee before being released. Thanks for listening. Let's begin. Welcome to Fruit Bowl, an oral history of queer sex. I'm your host and the creator of Fruit Bowl, Dave Quantic. Making Fruit Bowl over the last few years has helped me get better at being a documentary filmmaker and also expand my knowledge about queer sex. But, you know, sometimes I miss opportunities for learning. And to be honest, sometimes I just don't ask the right questions. For instance, what is scissoring? During our interview, Isabella described scissoring with a partner and, like an idiot, I didn't ask her to define it. You know, I always had a vague idea of what it was, and when I checked Cosmopolitan.com to figure it out, I found out I was pretty much right. Basically what it is, it's, it's the sex position popular for lesbians, which involves two bodies reclining on their sides and interlocking their legs together, similar to two pairs of interlocking scissor blades and then grinding and swiveling and rubbing pelvic bones together until orgasm is achieved. So now you know, in case you didn't know already. Some of the other things you should know about this episode is that it was recorded in December of 2019, so it won't reference any of our current events. You should also know that in addition to containing very funny, laser-sharp observations about what it's like for a black, bisexual, former Texan and burlesque performer living in Seattle, Isabella's interview also includes a very detailed first-person description of abuse by an online child sex predator. So just please be advised of that. Other highlights include Isabella's experience as an entrepreneurial pornography distributor in grade school and an early interest in queer sex activism and an education in dental dams. In other words, this interview has it all, and I'm so proud of presenting it as our first official episode for this year's Pride Month. So, without further ado, here is Isabella. Uh, My name is Isabella. 
uh, and I'm currently 32 years old um, and I graduated high school in 2005. I couldn't remember for a minute. <laughs> what is age? Yeah. <laughs> I never really had like a coming out of the closet kind of experience, which I, I carry a certain degree of, of guilt over. Uh, and it's something that I'm still kind of working through today. Going back as far as I can remember, I've always had queer leanings and my parents never really discouraged any of that kind of stuff. Ever since I was a kid, I've always liked everybody. Um, I remember like being in first grade and there was a girl that I really, really liked who was like my best friend. But there was something different about her than other kids. Uh, and so I went and I asked my mom, you know, uh, what do you call a, a boy that you really, really like? And my mom was like, a boyfriend. And I was like, well, what do you call a girl that you really, really like? And she was like, a girlfriend. And I was like, okay. And I like went back to school and I like, in the first grade and like marched up to this girl and was like, you're my girlfriend. We are girlfriends now. And she was like, okay. And so we were just girlfriends. Um, and I told my mom and my mom was just sort of like, all right, that wasn't exactly what I meant when I said that, but like, all right, that's fine. You're like a child. We're not going to go through this. It means what it means to you, and that's fine. Um, and I, I never had that sort of experience with, with um, a, a violent, d discouraging family. Um, I just always enjoyed people. If I just, if I like you, I like you regardless. I like so few people. I'm so attracted to like maybe <laughs> such a small group of people that I cannot be um, uh, picky about what genitals you have or anything like that. Um, and so I've, I've just always been like that. I just enjoy the people that I like and that's really it. There were like phases. So there was like the bi phase. I'm like a former theater kid, so we were all <laughs> we were all bisexual by default. Uh, and then the college years, you had to choose. Like, are you gay or are you straight? Um, and now uh, we are having greater conversations about it, and I really enjoy queer. The queer category is something where it's like I don't have to understand where on the scale I am or maybe today I'm feeling more gay maybe today I'm feeling more straight I don't have to apologize for you know being maybe a little bit too much into Adam Driver um <laughs> you know and like because when I was growing up it was like if I had a crush on a boy it was like oh I guess you're straight now you know and I just sort of lost my all of my gay cards it's so bizarre I I'm obviously still going through it like I'm still <laughs> having conversation with the larger community which like god there's so many issues because um what is the point of limiting ourselves Shouldn't we leave ourselves with as much room as we possibly can have to grow, develop, change, adapt? I know that I have a place in this community and what my place is, and, and, um, and I'm not going to be pushed out by anything, especially something as like small as labels. Uh, 
I grew up for the most part in Texas. My parents uh, are divorced. We were also military. My mom um, has a condition, a medical condition. So for some parts of my life, she couldn't really take care of me. So I just kind of moved around uh, a lot. So we got stationed in Texas, but sometimes I went to go stay with my grandmother in Pittsburgh. Um, I went to go stay with aunts uh, in Georgia and in Arizona. And I identify as a Texan, which like, <laughs> is like, what's, what's your, your like pr preferred pronoun? My preferred pronoun is Texan. Um, <laughs> Uh, and I think of myself as like identifying as like I that culture really vibed with me and it really shaped me to be who I am. Yeah, so it was a town called Colleen, uh, centrally located in between Austin and San Antonio, um, uh, right outside of this um, military base called Fort Hood. It's so weird because I would not describe it as liberal, but at the same time, it's probably one of the most open places. Like it's just this weird mix because of the fact that it's so close to this army base. You have all these people uh, from all over the country and all over the world. It's a lot of people who are conservative in their values, but not in their actions. <laughs> so when you go to clean, it's like um, strip clubs. Um, it's uh, uh, my, my first gay bar. It looked like it was closed from the front facing the, the road, but then they had an entrance around the back, right? It was like for closeted military guys uh, and, and military women. Uh, it was always full, it was always packed. Uh, it was my first time seeing a glory hole. Um, <laughs> it was just a strange, uh, um, uh, interesting dynamic of seeing these really mask butch um, uh, military dudes that you knew were like, you know, could understand how to like do tanks and armory and stuff like that also dressed as Diana Ross, you know. If you grew up in Texas, which is uh, so huge, has so many different kind of cultures, right? It's hot as hell. Um, uh, it's this place of sort of, which celebrates lawlessness. It's this state which like the whole motto is like, don't mess with us, which is just kind of so aggro <laughs> for no reason. Um, uh, and it's all about like individuality. Um, but you also place this pressure to be um, normal, Christian, Bible-obeying, uh, uh, and decent. You just know the more pressure you put on yourself at the top, the more it has to sort of funnel down to someplace else where it alleviates itself, you know. It's like, it's like how the number one state that consumes the most pornography is Utah. And Texas is like that. It's like, you can be as weird as you want to be as long as you close that door. Much different than here in Seattle. Seattle is, is like the opposite. It's like people are trying to be freaky on Maine here, where actually in real life, they are normal, boring people. <laughs> and I find that so frustrating. <laughs> you know, like so many people just like make up weird, freaky things about themselves. I'm like, you are boring, honey. You are boring. Just admit that you're a boring, pasty person. It's fine. But in Texas, it's like the opposite, where it's like you'll see people who just look so straight-laced, so normal, and are nasty people, freaks. Uh, <laughs> so it's like, it's been a culture shock for me. <laughs>
So my family is really kind of strange. My, my mom is kind of at the top, and then I have an older brother and an older sister, um, and my grandmother as well. Um, my dad uh, worked a lot when I was growing up, so my dad was kind of in and out of my life. Um, and then my parents divorced, and so my dad is a very, like, he's a very serious, focused uh, kind of a guy, and I don't necessarily think that, like, being a dad was like part of his like agenda, you know? Um, and so he worked a lot. He, he's an engineer. Um, and so, um, yeah, he was always traveling. Um, but my grandmother did a lot of parenting for him. Uh, and my grandmother is, is this really tough as balls, um, uh, she's a Taurus. She's just, uh, she's this like, you know, kind of white passing um, uh, black woman uh, with blonde hair and light skin um, and is just like the, the toughest, meanest woman you've ever met in your entire life. Um, I love her so much. Uh, my brother is 14 years my senior and my sister is 19 years my senior. And so I kind of grew up um, really hanging out with mostly um, my grandmother um, a lot of the time. Uh, so we got very close. Um, moving around so much, I never really got a chance to make friends with other kids. Um, and being around adults, um, I also became this very oddly mature uh, little kid. So when I was growing up, the whole thing <laughs> that they would say was like, we're not screwing this one up. Like, this is the one <laughs> kid, we got a third chance, and this kid is going to be the kid that's going to succeed. <laughs> and so there was a lot of pressure on me. Uh, I was a really lonely kind of a kid that was really uh, much more comfortable around adults. When I was a kid, my, my best friend growing up was this like, 80 year old man who lived in, uh, who lived in our neighborhood, um, uh, um, who I called uh, Uncle Roland. Uh, and we would just hang out. Uh, it was him. And there was a, a 90 year old woman who lived uh, across the street um, and I called her my, my Aunt Geraldine. Uh, and we were not related, but um, they were my best friends. Uh, and I would go and hang out with them. Um, I was also a latchkey kid, and so sometimes getting home from school, I would go over and spend time with them. Uh, and that was a lot. I really didn't uh, hang out with other kids uh, as much as uh, you would expect. It was a lot of different kinds of cultures, which kind of made me very well-rounded, but did not endear me, I think, to a lot of people. I was kind of a strange kid growing up, so kind of like a prudish kind of a kid. I was not um, into sex or any kind of like hand-holding or kissing or anything like that for a very long time uh, until I discovered porn. Uh, and what a shock to the system that whole thing was. Um, my brother had a bunch of like unlabeled tapes uh, and I remember uh, wanting to record Dragon Ball Z um, and pulling out one of his like unlabeled tapes and popping it in and it was a it was a porno. So this is after the internet. So first see it on the internet. So I know what this is, right? Um, he had a dual tape deck 
you know, where you could pop in for, for anybody that's like, God, under the age of 25. You have a VHS that had two taped s- slots in them. So you could tape something and record something. And uh, I would charge the kids in my school. <laughs> if you brought me a, a blank VHS and $5, I would record um, <laughs> this porno. So I had like a, I had like a mini small bootleg porn industry uh, <laughs> in middle school for a while. And it was such a naughty, no-no thing to do. But having access to it, Um, the first thing I thought of was like, oh, I could just sell these to people and make spending money. (laughs) And no one questioned it ever. It was such a, oh my God. I'm actually very proud of that because that's like what what kid is, is like that. I discovered masturbating fairly early. Um, I think I was maybe like, God, like maybe four or five. Um, and it was like dry humping beds and stuff like that, which was an issue for a hot minute. Um, but I didn't have any sort of understanding that it had anything to do with um, sex. It was just a sort of gratifying feeling. Um, and yeah, it took a while for me to kind of become like sex as a concept and sex as an act for those things to kind of come together. Yeah, I was like a masturbating fiend for a hot minute. I just would hump like the side of my bed or I would hump like um, uh, the banister. Like I was just humping everything. Um, It was a real issue for a minute. I think the first time was um, I was hanging off the side of my bed uh, and I was like holding onto the bed and reaching underneath the bed. So sort of straddling this, the corner of the mattress uh, and it just felt crazy good. And so I was just there just wiggling around for a hot while. But I was also like the kind of kid that was just, um, like that would just take off their clothes at any given opportunity. So it was like not that bizarre. Uh, um, yeah, and I, I remember um, telling other kids of being like, you know, if you rub it, it feels insane. So this has to be before the first grade. Cause I remember going into elementary school and probably by the second grade, I knew that you could not do that in front of other people. Like by the second grade, it was like a thing of being like, you cannot diddle your Skittle in, in front of other people. <laughs> and so I knew that. So it must have been, yeah, a preschool, first grade. mom had a friend named uh, Tommy that I thought was just the, the most handsome man I'd ever known and was so nice to me and was so kind to me. Uh, I had such a huge crush on him as a kid. This is probably five, six, and uh, he just came over a lot and hung out at, at my mom's house, uh, hung out with my mom. Yeah, I just was like, you know, so enamored 
you know, when they were trying to have like adult time and trying to like, you know, chill out and drink and everything like that. I just remember always trying to sneak out of bed and sneak downstairs and get a sneak peek at him. And uh, oddly also, uh, Tommy, the green Power Ranger, <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know. He was so fucking bitching. He had... Uh, he had a flute that was also a knife. Uh, he rode a motorcycle. Uh, his his droid was his Zoid, who was the white uh, Siberian tiger. Tommy fucked. He was so cool. Pretty-faced, long-haired, uh, uh, kind of dark-haired person. I'm, I'm still to this day... Um, enamored with people who are like just like soft featured long haired like you know no matter what uh, gender presentation that one look the first time that I had like actually sex sex it was not the best experience I'm about uh, 11 at this time uh, in middle school. My parents are overseas serving in Korea. So I was with my brother. I was really weird. I was a really weird kid. I had no friends. I was so unpopular. Um, I was in the accelerated courses, which meant that I was a geek. Um, you know, I had a Pokemon backpack, which meant that I was a nerd. Um, you know, I had braces. I was, I was overweight. I was one of the only black kids, uh, non-white kids in the school. I was just, um, I, I was just uh, a loser. I needed the internet. I was on it for hours and hours and hours. Um, and every single day, uh, Monday through Sunday, you know, I needed it. It was the only lifeline I had. It was the only community of people who couldn't see me, uh, who couldn't judge me, um, who had the same interests as me. I needed that. I was super eager. I just, I, I was trying to make connections with any sort of person that I possibly could. And I was just so open, you know, I, I didn't have any clue. Back in the old days, you had Yahoo chats. And I was in this Yahoo chat board for anime. And I know that this sounds like super cliche, but there was a guy that was in the chat board um, that we hit it off. Uh, I tell him that, we're, that I'm gonna go to this anime convention nearby. Uh, he says he's also gonna be there. We meet up at this anime convention and he is like not, my age like I had this impression that he was like maybe 14 you know which like to an 11 year old is like the oldest boy that you could ever possibly imagine he was significantly older I honestly I would guess that he was maybe in his 30s I was still like I still liked him I still you know you're, you're 11, you know, like you don't have this kind of, you don't have the experience, which is why he came to me, which is why I was such a, you know, easy kind of target. I was eager. I didn't know anything, which is how predators work. You know, they, they need young 
people because they need to be able to manipulate you. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, took me to uh, his hotel. And, uh, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't really remember a lot from that uh, experience. Um, I think there's like purposefully kind of like black it's kind of weird. It's like there's like my brain sort of redacted certain things, you know. Um, and so, yeah, that was the first sexual encounter I've ever had. I didn't even think that anybody could hurt me. I didn't think people did that. Um, and so I was really open um, and uh, super vulnerable because nobody was monitoring the computer. Nobody was looking out for that kind of stuff. Um, I doubt my parents understood that that was even a thing. Um, this is way before we were even having conversation about it. this is like the late 90s. Um, uh, we weren't having a conversation about predators online like that. I, don't, I doubt even my parents knew what um, a, a AOL or Yahoo chat board even was. This sounds really fucked up, but I was worried about not being able to talk to him anymore. I was worried about um, not being able to go online anymore. And yeah, it was not good. And he tried to keep in contact with me for a while after that. Um, and my brother found the chat logs. Because um, my brother and I, there was one family computer and we shared this computer and so, um, my something I must have left something open and my brother found it and my brother was so mad at me and I feel like that that was really that was a really tough I think the hardest thing was my brother being mad at me you know like he he really was like you're stupid for uh letting this grown man do this to you um and that you're so much smarter than this and um, this is not what good girls do and stuff like that and you could die and you could be kidnapped and raped and all this other stuff and I was just like I was so mad at him the, the part that sickens me is not sort of that it happened the part is that it just is it's happening so much you know like it's not rare um, I'm not the only person um, and I think I held on to it so much because I thought that people would be like oh, that's what's wrong with you, you know, as though it would just be like, you could boil down all of my faults to just this one incident. I did not want people to think, oh, um, er everything I do wrong or everything that I'm not good at or everything that, that you can just be like, oh, this one incident. To be fair, I mean, I've, I, I, there's ho a whole bunch of things in my life that have messed me up. Like, it's not just this. You know, like there's a whole bunch of stuff that you could really say it's like resulted in me being this person. That's, that's, you know, I mean, there's so many other tragic things that have happened. Um, and so uh, I never wanted people to see me as sort of this um, damaged person, you know, and so I just didn't want to talk about it. A lot of the grooming that he put on to me was this idea that if people find out, you'll be made fun of, or you'll be dirty or something like that. And a lot of it, really the ways that he got me was that he was just so nice. Um, and 
that was just so different. Um, nobody was really saying that I was pretty. Um, my my parents, with their background, they're they're a little stricter. Um, uh, you know, being military, being people of color, um, black parents from the military from the South just have a different kind of uh, upbringing and they're a little stricter. And uh, he was just the nicest, most complimentary. Everything I did was special and unique and cool. And he never really said like, um, you know, that I'm going to like hurt you if you tell anybody. But he, he did say, if you tell people I'll never be able to see you again and I'll never be able to talk to you. And that was, I think, that held me so tightly. This idea of like, oh, I have all this power and I have to maintain this and I have to hide it from my family because if I don't have this anymore, to an 11-year-old girl, I mean, like, you, you don't even think like, oh, there'll be lots of men that will say nice things about you for the rest of your life, whether you want them to or not. Um, you don't think about that. You think that this one who I thought was a boy, this man is going to, um, is my only shot at, at feeling this good ever again. Um, and that's, I think that's how he held me. Um, and it was nearly, it was nearly a year. I don't even know really what it was. I think he lost interest in me. I, I think that's the one thing that sort of haunts me is like, nothing ever happened to him. He, and I'm sure, I'm sure that he just moved on to somebody else. I, I think that not talking about it is the power that they hold over us, yeah. you know? And it's like decades later, the idea that this guy still has control is so bizarre. Because I, I rarely think about this person. I don't remember his name, you know. Um, but I think the more that we as, as victims come out and talk about it, even with each other, is such a, is such a powerful thing. Once I got into high school, real, uh, real slut hours, I think for me. Um, and it was, it was a lot of, um, uh, sleeping around and we did a lot of like sexual experimentation with each other, um, in that time period as well. Um, that was really at the kind of start of like just queerness kind of booming in younger and younger or, or people coming out. Uh, what a lot of people refer to as like, which is so bizarre, but like the post Will and Grace period, you know, like between 14 and 19, it was just, yeah, it was, it was a lot of making out with people, sleeping with people. So we had uh, an abstinence program in my high school, uh, which was super strict. Um, and uh, I did not like it. Um, one is because of the fact that like um, in my high school graduating class alone, I think there were maybe 13 girls who were pregnant, you know? So it was like, clearly this absence program's not working. We kind of formed, my friends and I, this like little group of like um, 
counter educational kids that were teaching ourselves about sex education. And it was so accessible because we had the internet. And so we would just look up stuff on the internet and teach ourselves. And we had this little like uh, weird circle of kids who were educating ourselves. I remember we talked a lot about dental dams. Uh, that was a really big thing. The idea of even talking about a condom was like wild, but the idea of talking about a dental dam, talking about how to have safe oral sex when you're eating out of pussy was like, the idea of that was so revelatory. And I just remember being obsessed <laughs> with the idea of putting your face on a pussy. Like I just was like, I just, the idea of, of putting your face on it. I just never, it, it, it fascinated me. I had a, a neighbor uh, who lived next to us when we moved to Texas and he was this German boy. I was also really into like new metal at the time. <laughs> This is like back when like Disturbed and Stained and uh, Marilyn Manson was really popular. <laughs> it's like, I'm not ashamed of that. The music slapped back in those days. But uh, um, I remember I was wearing like a Disturbed shirt and he came up to me. He was like 16 going on 17, a high school freshman. But at the time I was 13, I just thought he was just like the coolest kid. You know, he had like lip piercings and stuff like that. I thought he was so cool. My room, my bedroom was on the second story. You could climb up, climb onto the roof and get into my room. Um, and uh, that was um, uh, frequently how he got into my house uh, was by just climbing up uh, and knocking on my window and coming in. We dated uh, for a while. Even my parents were like, isn't he kind of a loser? Like, isn't he kind of, is he? Uh, and my friends were also like, he's not, you know. He was a, a really sweet, nice guy. He was very nice to me and um, he never uh, forced me to do anything. He was not um, harsh or anything like that. I remember my first time, I remember trying to be sexy uh, and failing at it. Oh my God. I was like, tonight's the night. We're gonna, we're gonna go all the way tonight. Like I made up my mind. You know, I was trying to do everything uh, right. Uh, matching bra, matching panties, you know, like give, give the full fantasy. And I had brought, oh my God, this is so embarrassing chocolates and I was like <laughs> I was like I'm gonna drizzle chocolate all over my body <laughs> trying to like be very seductive uh and <laughs> I just remember doing it and it was a mess it was disgusting and I remember him just being like we don't need this like <laughs> I don't need any of this stuff like I was trying to have sex I because like also I think one of my frame of references was like softcore porn um which was like a real big thing in the 90s uh and 2000s of just like here's put on some jazz uh light some candles uh <laughs> like 
it was like so that was my mentality and maybe also like to be like very queer about this I'm also like a Leo the scene is as important to me as like what we're doing because I have to set the the mise-en-scene for this whole thing which is so absurd it was so I was doing too much I was doing too much and I was really trying to be like so sensual and sexy and just fumbling at it and we're talking about like a 16 year old boy who is like I don't I don't need, I, I need a titty and I'm good to go. <laughs> like he was really just like, you took your clothes off and I was already in. I didn't need like rose petals or chocolate sauce. Like, oh my God, I was trying so hard. He, he liked to kiss and do a lot of stuff all over, which was, um, which was great because I feel like kind of getting into it, um, if he had just been like, suck my dick and then let me put my dick inside of you, it would have ruined the whole thing for me. Um, but he was very much like, I'm trying to get you to be like, get warmed up onto this. The issue was, is that his dick was gigantic, but uh, that was really uncomfortable, like that, that whole thing. And I think I had already been associating sex with pain. And so he was always like very like, checking in a lot. I remember hurting significantly. The first time was not enjoyable. Not only was uh, I like sticky uh, (laughs) from this like Kroger brand chocolate stuff that I bought, but also it felt like being stabbed. It was just, it was the first time was not fun. That was also so I think I still kind of like was associating that sex is not enjoyable that it's it's especially with men I moved into town in the summer and by the time school started we were I mean we were fucking non-stop we really didn't have anything in common and so it was like there was nothing else to do besides have sex we uh dated for a while um uh, until he dropped out of school and then yeah Later on in high school, I had a really close friend who was assigned female at birth but has since transitioned. We were really, really close friends, and uh, and this actually, it took me much longer to initiate with, with this person than it did with guys. We were just friends. We would have sleepovers, and they would come over and uh, sleep over uh, in my bed. One thing kind of led to another. I think it probably took, for teenagers, I feel like, like months is like a very long time to wait <laughs> to have sex with somebody. Uh, but you know, we were like, we kissed and we held hands and stuff like that. It just was a sort of a natural graduation from wanting to touch each other, wanting to touch each other's bodies to making out to going full force on each other. The first time with them, that was the first time that I'd ever scissored anybody. Um, and so that was fun. Uh, that was a, another like door that opened. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. And we didn't like penetrate each other or anything like that. 
Um, it was just uh, eating each other out and scissoring. And I really enjoyed that. And I kind of like more of that with people that have vaginas. Like it's, it's much more enjoyable, I think, to more so than penetrative, uh, just finger banging each other into oblivion, you know? It's something that I feel like a lot of femme people overcompensate with, you know. Um, and I have these like talons, and so it doesn't work out either. I think when you're first trying to figure out what what do you do with another person that has a vagina, it's just like a, a lot of humping. Yeah, <laughs> at least it was for me. <laughs> I remember I was like, oh, they're coming over to my mom. I was telling my mom, like, oh, oh she's going to come over. Um, and my mom being like, oh, okay. And like, without even looking at me, was like, well, don't close the door when you guys go to sleep. And I was like, oh, what? And the, the don't close the door rule was something that was specifically for me and boys. You could not have the door closed in my bedroom when a boy was coming over because it was implied that y'all were going to do something. But for, for my mom, I guess somehow she figured it out that we were like making out and scissoring. Uh, and my mom was like, now, from now on, you cannot have the door closed for anybody. Uh, <laughs> and that was the rule. And I feel like that was the most passive uh, coming out of just being like, of my mom just figuring out like, oh, it's everybody. This, this girl is like, this girl is, everyone is a potential target. And so, yeah. Relationships in high school last five minutes before they're burned out. They were uh, very kind, very sweet, uh, um, but also they were figuring out what their gender was and um it was high school so you know relationships in high school last five minutes before they're burned out so <laughs> you know to be honest with you uh i don't think i've ever been in love before when you think about it like did i love this person or did i love what this person was doing for me? What does it mean to love another person? So, okay, so there, there are two people that I said I love you to, both men. One was a boyfriend. He was a foreign exchange student from France, and I thought we were going to get married. So um, I was living in France for a while, um, learning the Torah so that I could convert to Judaism uh, and be, because <laughs> he was Jewish. And the whole deal was that I would also convert to Judaism. Uh, and so we were going through that, but we were not, not getting along uh, and it was not working out, like living together for the first time. Um, but you know, I still to told him uh, every day, I, I was in love with the concept of him. Uh, and then the last partner that I said, uh, I love you to, he said, he said it first. And then I was like, oh yeah, I love you as well. It always felt like I was lying. It felt really, it always felt really insincere. I always tell my, my female partners that I love them, but I'm just, I'm so much more comfortable with women in, in that kind of intimacy. 
whatever is the female equivalent of a fuck boy, that's what I am. And I feel terrible about this, but uh, I like very rarely have dated women. I will hang out with them, I will be their friend. But as far as like being another woman's girlfriend, I'm such an asshole about it, which I feel so bad. It's so weird that I'm like, with a guy, I want labels. I want the parameters. What is the relationship? How do we fit into this? But with women, I'm just like, come on, girl. Like, we don't gotta do labels, baby. Like, this is just like our thing. Like, I'm a fuck girl and I hate it. Like, I, I don't know why. I, I'm always just like, with women, I'm just like, oh, you know, like we, we're just like gal pals. Gal pals, which is such an obnoxious term to use instead of being like, this person's my girlfriend. Um, and I, I don't know why. Um, but with men, it's so bizarre that I just want to like lock them down, that I want to be like, you're my boyfriend, you do these things. It's so obnoxious. I, I'm trying to mitigate like, is my idea of love ridiculous like do I have like a Disney version of love that I think like the, I've never had like the spark I've never felt like somebody understood me I've never felt seen by a partner um I've always felt like oh I love this person because we've spent the designated amount of time together for us to have developed this emotion called love but am I in love with this person or am I just attached to them? I don't, I don't know. Um, and it goes between these two kind of volleys of being like, oh, I love is, it is an explosion and it's this big thing. And it's, it's this, you just feel it. And it's, it's, it's romance and sparklers and it's all this thing. And then this other side of me that's like, love is like a commitment. It is when two parties or more, whatever, um, are committed to each other uh, and have res mutual respect for each other. And we've spent the designated amount of time to build a certain degree of intimacy together. And so, and I want good things for you and I admire you. Therefore, thus hitherto, I must love you, right? Like it's a math equation. So there's two different sides of me. That's like this romantic version. And there's this other version of me. Cause every time that I break up with people, I'm always like, did I actually really love this person? Or did I just love what they were doing for me? I don't know. I would say that I'm really good um, at seduction. I would also say that's kind of a Leo thing. I have this sort of like, it's like a laser beam into the person that I'm attracted towards. It's just this weird sort of a thing that I feel like I can just like switch it and it, I just become this, this whole other person, seductive and attractive and cloy. Uh, but aggressive, that that's the, the one thing that I think I can really do. I like dirty talk, you know, whether that's like uh, seductively dancing with somebody, saying the right kind of things, whispering to them, that kind of a thing, um, the sort of seductive 
things that kind of get you in the mood. And I think that's also from doing burlesque for a a couple of years, because burlesque is all about the fantasy. And it's all about the sort of seductive um, uh, mentality that you put people into. I will admit that I am a a pillow princess and a lazy lay. like it's like a roller coaster it's like it's like for me it's like all about the wind up and then I just lay down and I'm just laying down for the rest of the <laughs> so yeah that's uh <laughs> that's something that I am working on <laughs> so I'm really into mask people who are very feminine um and I'm really into women that are either the exact same person as me um, like or really butch studs with uh women i'm i'm much more of the aggressor and i'm much more horny on main uh and flirty uh touchy feely things like that and then with men I'm much more like you do all the work kind of a thing um I'm not interested but maybe I am interested but no not really I mean you're not really my type I neg I guess (laughs) I play the game with men whereas for women it's it's I don't I don't I don't want to play the game I know that I said I'm just like I'm a fuck boy but um with women I don't like the game I don't like uh, the 3 a.m. text and the hookups and things like that. Like uh, with women, I'm much more sincere uh, and soft, uh, which I think makes my behavior even worse. I feel like it's so much easier with women to to get to this really romantic, soft place where we are sort of like playing partners uh, and it's very domestic. And then with guys it's so much easier to be mean to them and i don't know (laughs) really where that comes from but um yeah i kind of like guys that are a little bit more passive a little bit more feminine honestly i'm definitely nicer to uh female partners with femme partners i don't want to hurt any girl's feelings you know um, but with dudes, especially because I date um, like cis het dudes, they're fine. It's all right. <laughs> they're, they're, they'll be okay. <laughs> they'll be fine. The idea that I even deal with them in the first place is like their pleasure, not mine. <laughs> so, <laughs> with most of the guys that I that I've talked to, um, you know, once we've been intimate and things like that, it's like they're just like yeah, this was great, you know, and I'm just kind of like, yeah, it really wasn't for me. Women try harder, you know, like women will, will for, for the partners that I've had, it is sort of about this mutual pleasure. You know, some days I, I'm really just like, uh, I'm never going to touch another penis ever again in my life. And I never want to date. Why am I dating men? I read the news. I'm a college educated person. I walk around in this world and this femme body. I don't, I don't want that. Um, and some days, um, this is why I do not want to say like, oh, I'm this one specific thing or even the whole bisexuality thing, which I think inside of people's minds, they think, 
50% of the time you like men, 50% of the time you like women. And there's just these two modes, you know, and it's, it's so mixed, you know, some days I just, I'm like, God, I just want just like a big, strong guy to just hold me. And I, that the smell of it, you know, of, of, you know, cause men have this more musky kind of a smell. And I'm like, God, I just really want that. Um, and in the same day I could be like, fuck men forever. Fuck them into the sun. I want to live on Themyscira. I want to live amongst the Amazons. <laughs> like, and it could happen in the same day, you know, and I'm also, I'm also monogamous. And so I, I date one person for long stretches of time. And so it's just, it, it goes in and out all the time. Um, and that's the thing of just being attracted to people is that there's really no rhyme or reason. Queer people also do this. Like some people are just like, I, I do decide who I want to date by genitals alone. I don't get it um, because I think for me, I just have so many different moods and there's just so many different kinds of ways of expressing yourself. So I try not to limit. Um, but I will say that I live in a really heteronormative kind of society. And there is this sort of assumption when I meet people that I, I'm only into men. And so dating as like a queer woman is um, a little bit more complicated. I know that every place is a miserable place for dating, but Seattle is like a special breed of miserable. Open communication is not, people don't like it. Whereas in Texas, you have to be, what they call like being a straight shooter, right? You gotta be a straight shooter about what, what are you trying to say? Seattle, it's the opposite. Do not tell me what you actually mean. <laughs> I need you to tell me in a way that's like on my emotional wavelength right now. <laughs> So, so much of it is trying to discern to what is this person really trying to say to me? Because if I'm, if I'm honest, I am brutal. And if I'm honest and I say what I mean, I therefore am, I'm too blunt. I am, I have no tact. And that's a bad way of communicating in Seattle. Um, also, people don't meet in person. It's very much a web-based app based kind of a thing. And I hate apps. I hate them. I feel like um, I am doing a Sears catalog of human beings. I need to be able to like touch someone, hear their voice. I, I'm so much into senses uh, as a person. Um, smell them, hear that. I need to be able to figure that out. And um, you can't do that online. Um, and I find it very sterile and I find it very cold um, and I don't like it. So dating is rough. And I've been single for years, since I was 28 and I'm now 32. Seattle also has a very special breed of people. It's a very white city. Um, and so the dating pool is much more white focused and then a smaller group of people of color. I before didn't really date a lot of white women. Um, but here that's kind of, that's the, the pool is a lot of queer white women. 
and I really struggle with dating um, with dating a lot of them. A lot of them have like very good intentions. There is this sort of woke culture that is so obnoxious. Um, <laughs> and if you're a if you're a black woman and you're dating white women, like my heart goes out to you because it's so hard. When you're having a conversation with a white guy, you can be like, listen, white men have done horrible things to people of color. And there's this sort of understanding of being like, you're absolutely right because I have read a book. But when you're trying to say to white women, like white women have also contributed to terrible situations for people of color and for black people in particular, there is this sort of like, no, it can't possibly be that way because I did a work study and I went to Cuba and <laughs> I went to Nairobi and I build huts. And, you know, it's like, it's this thing of being like, because in our culture, we do not have enough conversation about the, the roles that white women have played in white supremacy, in, in uh, misogynoir, which is misogyny specifically targeting black women. We have not had those conversations yet in our society. It's so hard to have a conversation with a white woman um, where you actually talk about historical things like that because we don't, we don't record those things. We don't talk about those things. I also really like women that have like fat asses and like <laughs> like I really like a really stacked woman and in Texas you can find a stacked woman like it's not that hard in the because in the south that's kind of that's a sign of, of beauty really you know is to be stacked is to have curves for days you know in Seattle the Seattle look is very is like can she climb a mountain you know <laughs> It's like this the Seattle ideal for women is very much like, does she run a triathlon? You know, she has to look svelte and, and thin and muscular and stuff like that. And I'm just like, I just want a woman who can just put her thighs on the side of my head. Like I just, I want, I love soft bodies. Um, and it's so hard to find that in Seattle. Um, and so it's, it's like, it's like physically my physical type is not very popular in Seattle. Um, and it's so hard to like date people of color here, um, as well, because they're just so spaced out. And honestly, dating queer people of color, it's, it's, I mean, you're Eskimo sisters with every single person. It's so incestuous. I cannot get into it. I cannot get into being like, oh, this person that I'm into is 10 other people's exes. And I can't. And she's still living with her former partner, her, 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 her last partner, because the rent is so high in this goddamn city that she has to live with her ex. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I, so I just, I'm out and dating men is a wash. Like <laughs> Dating men in Seattle is a wash. They are terrified, scared little baby rabbits. Um, and like the idea of dating, oh my God, they're so, they're so shy in this way that's like, I like a guy that's like a little bit more um, in touch with his femininity which means something different in the rest of the country than it does in Seattle. A, a guy that's like in touch with his femininity in the, in the South 
um, means that he like takes a shower every day. <laughs> like, like a guy that's like in touch, like he's so in touch with his femininity. He like clips his own toenails and like <laughs> grooms his own body. Wow, he's like so in touch with his femininity. But here in Seattle, dating a guy that's like in touch with his femininity is like this guy like wears like basketball shorts in the shower like this guy is so scared of you know he doesn't want to offend anybody and he can't say anything can't make a move on me because he doesn't want to be uh he doesn't want to be me too and like all this stuff and it's just like I don't expect to find this partner that's like the perfectly woke partner because there is still a degree of like back and forth and 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 um you still have to objectify a person that you find sexually attractive. It's fine. It's fine. Please objectify me. You know, I mean, um, but I find people here in Seattle are just so worried about things that it gets in the way of sexuality uh, and attraction. So it's a wash. <laughs> Your body is your own body and you own your body and no one, not uh, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, your parents, the church, a stranger on the internet, no one can tell you what is right for your body, what is good, what feels good, what's the, a good size, what to, what to do with your body. Your body is your own thing. And if it feels good to you and you feel like it's giving you something back and it's enriching you, do it and live unapologetically. Um, and no one wakes up with your body except for you. And no one goes to sleep at night with your body except for you. Nobody owns that. No one. Not, not God. Um, you know, not, not anybody. And um, uh, any, anybody that has your body, even people that you're having sex with, they don't have any right to your body. Nobody has any right to your body except for you. Um, I think that would have, that took me a very long time to figure out. Even if I was giving myself sexually over to somebody, I didn't owe them anything. It took me a very long time and I'm still still trying to understand that fully. Well, that's it for this episode of Fruit Bowl. Thanks to Tom for helping me connect with Isabella. Because of a recent injury, I won't be marching this month. Instead, I'll be channeling all of my activism into making a new podcast episode each week for this month. I'm curious, how are you going to celebrate Pride this month? Record a voice memo and email it to me at dave at fruitbowlpodcast.com and I will include some of your answers in the weeks to come. Check out fruitbowlpodcast.com where you can find an episode archive and all of our social media links and information about our Patreon account and how you can help support our production efforts. Check out our promotion partners, Tickle.life and NYC Inferno Party on Instagram. 
Also check out our podcast promotional partners, Matt Baum's The Sewers of Paris, Dennis Anyone with Dennis Hensley, Drew and Glenn's Gayest Episode Ever, and Dave and Alonzo's Linoleum Knife. Fruitful is a production of QP Media, LLC. All rights reserved. Stay safe, be strong, and thanks for listening.